Please turn with me once more to Deuteronomy chapter 4. Deuteronomy chapter 4. Our text for this morning's message is Deuteronomy chapter 4, verses 1 to 10. Deuteronomy chapter 4, verses 1 to 10, beginning with in verse 1. Now therefore hearken, O Israel, unto the statutes and unto the judgments which I teach you for to do them, that ye may live and go in and possess the land which the Lord God of your fathers giveth you. All the way down to verse number 10. Verse 10, especially the day that thou stoodest before the Lord thy God in Horeb, when the Lord said unto me, Gather me the people together, and I will make them hear my words, that they may learn to fear me all the days that they may live upon the earth, that they may teach their children. And may the Lord bless his word to us. Our title for this morning's message is Devotion Due to God. Devotion Due to God. What is devotion? What is devotion? One dictionary put it like this. The state of being dedicated, consecrated, or solemnly set apart for a particular purpose. Dedicated, set apart, consecrated for a particular purpose. We may think that this is a strange idea to the world, but in some ways it's not. We're all dedicated, consecrated, and set apart to something or someone. It is a strange thing in the world to be dedicated to the true and living God. But in the world, people are dedicated to something, even those who may be lazy. Those who are lazy are dedicated toward an easy and comfortable life. Perhaps to doing as little as possible. But there are so many ways we see it in the world, don't we? Of departing from true service of God. It is a wide road, Jesus said, that leadeth unto destruction. And many there be that go thereat. There are many things that people are devoted to in this world. But sadly, as we see in the Western world, rarely is it God. The God that has made and sustains everything we see around us. All the blessings you have had this day come from the hand of Almighty God. (coughs) And we see dedication in the world, don't we? And we rightly admire Those with a hard work ethic. Those who are hard working farmers. Hard working builders. Dedicated parents. And these are good things. Of course they are. Our world benefits from these hard work. But it cannot be our first love. It cannot be the first thing that we serve and dedicate towards. We all need work. We all need to put food on the table. But it can't be the first thing that we 
are set apart too, because that would be idolatry. We're not the first generation to struggle with true devotion toward God, and most likely we won't be the last. We see it in our text in Deuteronomy chapter 4. They struggled to be devoted to God. They were delivered from a cruel and oppressive regime in Egypt. Uh, They were brought victory openly over the armies of Pharaoh. The Red Sea is parted. They are delivered through it. And then that sea crashes in on top of their enemies. And they sing of victory in Exodus chapter 15. Now you think... That that generation that was brought out of Egypt would not struggle. There's a sense which you think of all the things, all the wonderful things that they have seen. The power and the might of God at Mount Sinai. In other places, you think that they wouldn't struggle. Struggled with God first, but they did. They did. Very quickly, they would turn aside from God. So then we have in our text Moses preaching to them. Much of the book of Deuteronomy is Moses preaching to the people of God. Right as they're about to cross over the Jordan River and enter into the promised land. Their sin leads to 40 years of suffering. Wandering in the wilderness. Death all around them. And then it comes to this point in verse number one. Now therefore. Now therefore. Because of all these things that Moses has said up until this point. They must put God first. They must learn the lessons of that previous generation. God is before everything. And for the young people here this morning. You must put God first. Above everything else. Even your schoolwork. Or anything else. Older people. You must put God first. And not allow idolatry. Of whatever the uncertain riches of this world. May creep into our hearts. Because we're all. Tempted. By these things. Our first point that we're going to look at this morning. In our text is number one. Demanded. Number one. Demanded. What is demanded of the people of God? And especially in this generation, we really struggle with this idea that God demands. And what God really demands from each and every one of us. Verse 1 says this, Now therefore, hearken, O Israel, unto the statutes and unto the judgments which I teach you. For to do them... That ye may live and go in and possess the land. Which the Lord your God of your fathers giveth you. Hearken. Listen. Listen. Or it could even be translated obey. Obey. The same word is used in Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 4. Which says hear O Israel the Lord Our God is one Lord. Hear. And to hear 
was not just with the ear. It was also to obey and to follow what was heard. And Israel is called the Shema. Because that is the idea to bow the knee to what is heard. Now therefore, hearken, O Israel. Obey, O Israel. The statutes and the laws of God. And what, is it, what do we have to obey? As the people of God unto the statutes and unto the judgments they were taught. This encompasses all that the Lord had given them up until this point. At this point in, in time it includes of course the ceremonial law. Which we don't have today since the New Testament era. But it encompasses all that God had given them. The statutes. The decrees and laws of God. The judgments. The statutes and unto the judgments. You see the promised land was not just a place for them to be comfortable. It wasn't just for them to live their best life now or something like that. The promised land was to be a place where the rule of God was to be seen on earth as it was in heaven. What was God seeking and demanding? Not just seeking, not just requesting, but demanding from them perfect obedience. That's what's demanded. That's what's demanded of all of us. It says in verse 2, Ye shall not add unto the word which I command you, neither shall ye diminish aught from it, that ye may keep the commandments of the Lord your God which I command you. There's no, <clears throat> there's no sense in the Bible. Well, if it's too difficult, it's okay. Now, we also are aware we're sinners. We're also aware that we fall short. We do. And we're also aware that Jesus kept this law perfectly. What we could not do. But yet, the demand remains. I'll put it like this. If you're playing darts and you're aiming for the bullseye, you're probably going to get a lot closer to it than if you're not. We must aim to be like Christ. We must aim to follow him in everything. Not just certain areas, but in everything. Yes, there are some doctrines that are more important than others. But we must resolve in our hearts, God has commanded it, I must do it. That is true faith. Yes, we aim toward the standard of Christ. We're aiming toward that total obedience, that attitude of serving God. And this, as I've said, was not just a struggle in Moses' day, it's a struggle today. We have almost a teaching today that you've been saved and the law has been set aside. The Ten Commandments. How much is that being taught in the wider Christian church? Yes, it is taught in many Reformed churches, but outside of that. What is our attitude to the law of God? There's a lot of confusion around that. And we must also be gracious, realizing 
we are sinners. We fall short of the standard, as do other people. But yet we strive toward this. Verse 2, ye shall not add unto the word which I command you, neither shall ye diminish aught from it. We're not to add to it, becoming legalistic. To add extra things that the Lord hasn't commanded us to do. That's a temptation as well for all of us. We see the law of God. We would like to put an extra fence around it to make it extra safe. That also can be dangerous. But to go the opposite direction, to diminish and say, "Mm, that's not that important. That can also be a dangerous direction for us to take. Perhaps you think there are certain doctrines that it's not the gospel. So we think, okay, it doesn't matter if I give my time or you could say money to church. But the Bible tells us that the Lord loves each cheerful giver. Or perhaps you think it doesn't matter what we set before our eyes. Perhaps you think, well, the movies I watch don't matter. But they do. They do. They corrupt us. They corrupt how we view marriage. They corrupt how we view many things. So while I cannot give you a list of do's and don'ts, you must be in the word of God. Crying out to the Lord for wisdom in these areas. Lord, what would you keep me from? Yes, it does matter. All of the word of God matters. All our sin matters. From the greatest, most publicly embarrassing sin to the smallest sin, it is still against God. As David said, against thee, the only, have I sinned. Psalm 51 verse 4. You see, all sin, there's no such thing really as a small sin. We're all guilty at times of doing this. We're all guilty of diminishing part of the law of God. That area we think, that doesn't matter. It does. If it's revealed in the word of God. And we see, verse 2, it's very common today. It's very common today. And it's one of the things that I find most sad. That there's this idea, this very much Christianity has become something of personal preference. You like your thing, I like my thing. And, and we can even see it with even versions of the Bible. Now, this is not really to talk really about the authorized version, but some people will say, well, the end of Mark 16, is that really in the Bible? You think it is? I don't. And there's all these different opinions. It's incredibly sad what has happened in the church for the last 100 to 200 years in this area. Many people think that Mark chapter 16 from verses 9 to 20 was not in the original text. Many preachers even believe that. Are they not guilty of diminishing from the law or from the word of God? Our confession of faith says that God has kept his word pure in all ages. So we must be very, very careful 
we're all going to fail at this in some way, shape, or form. We all have to realize this. But at the same time, we must not add to it nor diminish from it in any way. We pray for those people, those sincere Christians who have fallen into this error. But every single part of the word of God is important. The beginning of John chapter 8 is important. The every single jot and tittle in the Bible is important. Because it demands from us everything. It demands from us absolutely everything. Now you might be thinking, maybe that's just the preacher. No. The farmer, it demands of you everything in your work, that you do all things to the glory of God. The person who works in the shop, that you do all things to the glory of God. How you do your taxes, how you deal with your customers, all to the glory of God. You see, it demands everything. How you raise your children, all to the glory of God. And then you see in the scriptures, oh, God has commanded me to do something. I must do this. And the joyful thing of the Christian, we shouldn't be afraid of these things. We should say, okay, I haven't been doing this. I see that I've been wrong in this area. And it's a wonderful thing. It's a liberating thing to find God's better way. God's ways are better. Earlier we read from Matthew chapter 8. In Matthew chapter 8, it gives a wonderful example of what faith looks like. Faith seen in Matthew chapter 8 and verses 5 to 10. Matthew chapter 8 and verses 5 to 10. And when Jesus was entered into Capernaum, there came unto him a centurion beseeching him. And then in verse 8 it says this. This is what the centurion says to him. The centurion answered and said, Lord, I am not worthy that thou shouldest come under my roof, but speak the word only, and my servant shall be healed. In verse 8, he sees that he is a lowly sinner, that he's not worthy of the least of God's mercies. But he sees the power of God, and he trusts him. And in verse number 9, he shows a wonderful characteristic of he sees that it demands everything of him. Verse 9, for I am a man under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to this man, go, and he goeth. And to another, come, and he cometh. And to my servant, do this, and he doeth. How does Jesus respond to this? In verse 10, Verily I say unto you, I have not found so great faith, no, not in Israel. Do you see? And we are soldiers of the Lord's army. Our king tells us to go, what should we do? Go. When he says to come, what should we do? Come. It may seem like a very simple idea. But we struggle with it. We really struggle with it. We struggle with it in the same way. We have this, we're, we're, we're of the dust of the earth. In the same way these people were in Moses' day. And we have to be reminded. Not to add to the word of God. 
nor diminish from the word of God. And there's many different ways we can do that. Many different ways we can do that. But when we have done it, and when we've, when we've found and discovered we've been doing it, let us go to the Lord for forgiveness. For he is merciful. And let us realize that it's not our devotion that will save us. It's Jesus' perfect righteousness that clothes us all. So that's number one, demanded. Number two now, delivered. Delivered. What do we owe God? What do we owe God? Even the person who is not saved owes God everything. Everything. He has delivered us. Verse number three. Your eyes have seen what the Lord did because of Baal Peor. For all the men that followed Baal Peor, the Lord thy God hath destroyed them from among you. They died in unbelief. They followed idolatry. But there's a picture here, and we see this throughout the people of God in these first few books of the Bible. God brings deliverance for the people who look unto the Lamb that would come, the Lord Jesus Christ, and brings death and defeat for the enemies of God. For those who cling to idolatry. Why were they delivered? Verse number 4. But ye that did cleave unto the Lord your God. Are alive every one of you this day. They clung to the Lord. When we see what God has done for us. What he's delivered us from. Slavery, misery, following our, the world, the flesh, and the devil. And what he's delivered us toward. What do we owe him? Now even if he never did this, we'd still owe him everything. But he's bringing you, this is Moses is telling, he's bringing you into the promised land. He's giving you a land of milk and honey. He's giving you a land of protection. Now, you're probably thinking of examples where they didn't have all these things because of sin, because of rebellion, because of covenant breaking. But what ingratitude would it be if someone has given you everything? Everything. God has given us everything that we have. All the protection that we have. The health that we have. You may be, you may be suffering with your health this morning. But we have so much of our health to be thankful for. That which is good. The fact that we're still alive. Up until this time. The fact that we're alive in Jesus Christ. That we're no longer. Serving the world the flesh and the devil. So many things to be thankful for. We have a home in heaven. <clears throat> no suffering. No pain. No tears. We have protection from our enemies here. But we see it in its fullness in the world to come. And what was so special about Baal Peor? Baal Peor, it's, we'll turn to Numbers chapter 25. Numbers chapter 25. 
And in Numbers 25, the anger of the Lord was seen in this idolatry. And Matthew, in Numbers 25, what happens is the Lord's people, they struggle with their zeal. Their zeal wanes. And what happens then, temptation becomes stronger. They become more and more tempted by the idolatry and the sin that surrounds them. And so, they faced the anger of the Lord. Chapter 25 of Numbers, verse 3. And Israel joined himself unto Baal Peor, and the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. And it was zeal of Phineas that delivered them. It says in verse 11 of that chapter, Phineas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron the priest, hath turned my wrath away from the children of Israel, which while he was zealous for my sake among them, that I consumed not the children of Israel in my jealousy. See, Phineas and others were an example of clinging to the Lord. And that can happen. We forget what we've been delivered from. We forget all the blessings we've seen as believers in Jesus Christ. And all of a sudden, our zeal, our enthusiasm for the Lord begins to wane. And then the temptations of the world. But there's a warning here. Moses warns, the Lord thy God hath destroyed them from among you. You've seen this. You've seen the the destruction of sin. And I'm sure you've seen many examples. I'm sure you've seen people who've been in the bosom of the church. Who to all intents and purposes looked like they were Christians. And today they're out in the world. Living like the world. Loving what the world loves. It's a warning to us. That there go we. But for the grace of God. See we have to be reminded at times. What we have been delivered from. That the Lord would stir up our devotion toward him. That our zeal would not grow cold. Because it's dangerous when it does. It brings many consequences with us. Those who are truly saved. You will never lose your salvation. But our sin. Your sin. My sin. Can have many Lasting consequences. We cannot. We must not play with fire. We must treat sin for what it is. An enemy. Idols. An enemy. But in the midst of all this. It is the Lord who delivers us. God delivers us. And so we bring praise to him as they ought to in that day. Verse 4, for ye did cling unto the Lord your God are alive every one of you this day. And they're alive by grace. Alive by grace. And this is why we, we sing. We sing from our psalters. We sing these psalms of praise. These inspired words. We sing of our deliverance. We sing of our gratitude. We sing because it is what God is due. He is worthy 
of our praise. He is worthy of if we praised him for every moment that we went from now unto eternity. And the thing is, it's never enough. We're but creatures. We're but of the dust of the earth. But in and through Jesus Christ, it is a sweet-smelling aroma before God. Verse number 5. Verse number 5, now in our text, Behold, I have taught you statutes and judgments, even as the Lord my God commanded me, that ye should do so in the land whither ye go to possess it. I have taught you. I have taught you. Doctrine. We've been delivered from what? Ignorance. Blindness. Service of self. To new teaching. We've been delivered from the teaching of the world, the flesh and the devil. This is a wonderful thing. To the teaching of Holy Scripture. The statutes and the judgments of God. They're not something to endure. There's something to rejoice in. These teachings are good and wonderful. They're good for you. They're good for your family. They're good for your community. They're good for your business. God's ways are always Best. So when we've been delivered, not just from our sin, but to wonderful teaching from heaven. Yes, we may say that Moses was teaching them, but it was really God who was teaching them. Moses was just the instrument that God was using to communicate, to bless his people. Verse 6, therefore keep and do them For this is your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the nations. which shall hear all these statutes and say surely this nation is wise and understanding people. Proverbs chapter 4. Proverbs chapter 4 and verse number 2. For I give you good doctrine. Doctrine. Forsake ye not my law. Doctrine. Now it's not just about filling our minds with information. So that we can get the answer right at the latest quiz or something like that. But it's about learning about God and what God has done for us. And so that the more we learn about God. The more you know about God. The more you have reason to praise Him and thank Him when you pray. The more you will have understanding when you come to the Psalms and begin to sing. Because he has delivered us. Number three now. Declared. Declared. Our obedience. And devotion to Christ. Is not just some private matter. You'll see it in the world. Well you have your religion. I'll have mine. And we keep it very private. And we don't talk about it. This is not what has been commanded by God. Now. It is not that we're supposed to be showy. And to say to people, look how righteous I am. But our lives are to point toward God. To honor and glorify Him. It is not something to hide away. Verse 6 once again. Keep therefore and do them. So to follow the statutes and the judgments of God. Keep therefore and do them. For this is your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the nations. In the sight of the Gentiles. In the sight of the world. The unbelieving world. Which shall hear 
all these statutes and say, surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. Could it be that one of the reasons why the church is in such decline is because we know so little about the scriptures today? Could it be that we have no answer to many things that are happening in our world? You see, the more we know about scripture, the more we know about God, there's almost a sense in which the unbelieving world sees to a degree the wisdom and the understanding. They they don't love God, of course not. But there's still a degree of they, they recognize the wisdom. But what if we're foolish as believers in, or professing believers in Jesus Christ? What if we're at work and we're late to work or we're not working very hard or doing the least amount possible? Or What if we're dishonest in our dealings in business and we say we're a Christian? What does it do for the statutes and the judgments that we claim to follow? The world would just say, ah, they don't believe that. This is just for show. But what happens when we do? When we do work hard and the young people who are here, if you're Christians and you're at school or wherever you are, work hard. That, the, that you show that the Lord has done a work in your heart, that you love Jesus, and to show the people around you what it means to follow Him. I suppose even we say years ago, somebody, somebody would say to you, you work, you're at your first job. Be the first one in and the last one out. And work hard while you're there. Learn. Ask questions. Be diligent. But we should do this with everything we put our hands to. Everything. Because otherwise we're going to give ammunition to the enemies of the gospel. That's what happens. Now, the enemies of the gospel will distort what we believe. They will, there will be things made up about the people of God. That's different. But let us not give them ammunition. It's not even about the honor of the church when we fall into sin. It's about the honor and the glory of God. It's not even about our reputation. It's about the honor and the glory of God. And you see, we're to be, in a sense, light in this world. In Matthew chapter 5, Matthew chapter 5, and verses 13 to 16. Matthew chapter 5, and verses 13 to 16. Ye are the salt of the earth. Verse 14. Ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. That's the church. The church is not supposed to hide away. 
It's supposed to shine that light. Now the light is Christ. And we're to be reflectors of that light. Because the more we follow the statutes and the judgments of God, that's what's going to happen. Where did you learn to do that? Oh, I read it in my Bible. People will ask you questions about why you do things. Wonderful opportunity to point out the Bible verse. That you are a follower of scripture. Yes, imperfect, like myself. But you are a follower of scripture. That we seek to declare that light in public. Verse number 9. There's a warning. There's a warning about this declaration. Verse number 9. Only take heed to thyself and keep thy soul diligently. Lest thou forget. You see this pattern time and time again. Forgetting. Forgetting. And it's our sinful suppression that can happen at times when we forget these things. The longer we're Christians, sometimes the great danger is we forget things. We need constant reminders. And it's why we need to be ever in our Bibles. I don't don't care how many times you've read your Bible. Every morning you need to be in the scriptures. Every evening. Not setting a certain amount of time. But spend time with God. And final point number four. Is departed. Departed. This truth we are devoted to gives life. Gives life. In verse 1 once again it says. Now therefore hearken O Israel. Unto the statutes and unto the judgments. Which I teach you for to do them. That ye may live and go in and possess the land. That ye may live. Do you see that? That ye may live. They have departed from death. And embraced life. They've declared to the world. And to the next generation. That this is how you depart. From death. It says in verse 9. But teach them. Thy sons. And thy sons sons. One of the most important things you can pass on from generation to generation is how to depart from death. How to not face the wrath of God. Trusting in Jesus, in Him alone. But if you've trusted in Jesus, you're alive, spiritually. If you see a living body physically and a dead body physically is there a difference do they act differently there is there's a big difference and friend if you've been changed by God if you've departed by faith from death to life you will be different and it is something that we urge upon Our children and our children's children. This is the most important truth. That we will ever pass on. How to depart from eternal death. 
Because if God has changed us, if God has done a work in us, look at what he will do. Verse number 10. Especially the day that thou stoodest before the Lord thy God in Horeb. When the Lord said unto me, Gather me the people together, and I will make them hear my words, that they may learn to fear me in all the days that they shall live upon the earth, that they may teach their children. Horeb, this is Mount Sinai. God speaks them in, in powerfully. And he says, I will make them hear my words. And very much in a far greater sense, inwardly in the inward heart, God makes us as the people of God, as the redeemed people of God, to hear and to hearken to the words of God. If you've departed from death, you will act differently. The statutes and the judgments of God will be something not just to endure, but something to delight in. Often people will struggle with assurance of faith when they have very little delight in the law of God. And as believers, we can go through such periods of time. But we need to delight in his law. The more we follow God, the more we're likely to find that comfort from the Lord, even in the midst of difficulty and affliction. Like many in Israel, they faced affliction. They, fla- they, they faced death. Moses himself was not entering into the land. Imagine leading a people for 40 years. And then you get to the ri- edge of that river and you cannot enter because of your own sin. Because of your own disobedience. Moses was a saved person of course. But how do we enter into that land? Belief. What keeps us out of heaven? Unbelief. Stubbornness of heart. And while we're on this earth. If we long for heaven. What will we want? God's will done here. God's will done in your home. God's will in your business. God's will even in your hobbies. There's no break. We're on holiday. It doesn't mean you throw off the law of God. It's in everything. Because why would you want to? It's something you delight in. It's something you love. Do you long for the Sabbath day? It's a good thing in your home. We, we read these verses when we say that they may teach their children. And as we pass on truth from generation to generation, one of the most important truths we can pass on to the next generation is a holy desire and anticipation for the Sabbath day. Then Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, as it gets closer, we pray and we prepare our hearts because we love that day. It's a day of refreshment. It's a day to be with Jesus. It's a day to be with Jesus. And it's a day to taste and see that the Lord is good. 
more fully. And we're going to see that in our eternal Sabbath. That rest that comes from him and from him alone. That you can delight in him because he has changed you. Why do you delight in the law of God today? God changed you. That's why you love his law. But if you're here and you do not love his law. You take no delight in these things. These are things you, you wish to hear less of. They give you no comfort. They give you simply torment. In fact. It is something you just do. To be externally righteous. So that people will think better of you. Do not be deceived friends. You have not departed from death. Whether you are young or old. Rich or poor. We will all stand before God. And we all need to be delivered. From death. That we may live forever. And as we look at this. Our devotion to God. As we. Call to a close here. We all fall short. But one did not. The Lord Jesus Christ. His righteousness is yours. By faith. His law keeping. Is yours. By faith. And that eternity. With him. Is yours. By faith. Amen. Let us pray before almighty God.